Welcome to the Faster Podcast by Flow Cycling, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything that makes you faster on your bike. This is episode 22, and today we have Josh Portner from Silka joining us on the show for part two of this interview. During part one of our interview with Josh in episode 21, we discussed Josh's experience from his time as the head design engineer at Zip, as well as his advice for choosing the right tires and tire pressure to help you go faster. In this episode, we'll discuss tubeless tires and Josh's advice for getting the ideal setup. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. Let's uh, let's jump into Tubeless. Um, on the Silka website, you have a heading that says you have redefined or redefining Tubeless. Tell us how Silka has done that. So, you know, we really see tubeless as the future. Uh, you know, we, we work with and are close to all the, of the uh, tire manufacturers and we see where the research and development money is being spent. And I'll tell you, it, it's not in tubulars. <laughs> um, <laughs> Surely it's not. <laughs> and and with, within some of the companies, uh, you know, I, I know some of the uh, R&D directors that we, we work with, I mean, they, they quite truly have zero budget for uh, clincher tire development. Right. So I I think, I think the future, the path is clear. You know, I, it's one of the areas that I like to tell my team, uh, you know, we, we would be crazy to try to predict what's going to happen next year, but we actually have a pretty surprisingly clear picture of 10 years out. (laughs) And, uh, uh, and I think tubeless really will be will be the norm. I mean, we're we're just in the early days at, at the moment, and they're they can be frustrating. And there's, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of variables in the bead diameters, the rim diameters. There's fitment issues. It, it's, but it's very similar to what what it was in mountain biking 20 years ago. And uh, and I think now we all know we all know how that ended up. And and similar, you you can trace it back to you know automobiles. <laughs> we, we also how that ended up. So. <laughs> So tubeless, tubeless is the future. You know, for me, a lot of it was the frustration of kind of being a relatively early adopter of a lot of these technologies. I really f- found tremendous frustration with the early tubeless. And a couple of the things that seemed certainly obvious to me and, and where the Silka tubeless products came from were, you know, the thicker your rim tape is, the harder it is to mount the tire. Yes. And so... You know, our experience uh, developing our rim tape was quite funny. We we started down that path and realized quickly that there's two companies in the world that make this type of tape. And uh, we talked to both of them and one of them said, oh, yeah, we make the, the yellow tape. And, uh, you know, it's this part number. Go, well, what what's like the best tape that you make? Like, oh, it's this one. It's this other part number. We'll take that one. Right. So, um so we started with uh, a, a film that's just a higher tensile strength. Yep. Uh, it's, it's just a more refined film. And then coming from my, you know, my zip background and understanding that, 
you know, carbon rims because they're molded uh, in metal molds, those molds have a molderly supplied. And so the reason it's hard to get the stickers to stick to them or your rim tape to stick down is that there is residual mold release in the epoxy that you almost can't get rid of without uh, like a sandblast or a bead blast. Yep. And the beauty of silicone, uh, which is what they use in most of those mold releases, is that it's a mold release for almost all types of adhesives, but it's actually a mold or a bond promoter for silicone-based adhesives. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were able to just take sort of the chemical background of um, you know of what mold releases are made of, and basically dope the adhesive of the rim tape with those same elements so that they would promote bonding rather than reject bonding. Um, and, and so, you know, from a, uh, an engineering, uh, side, really kind of simple from a, you know, business side, one of those things that seems simple and then somehow always takes a year to get done because everybody <laughs> you talk to, everybody along the way, you know, looks at you and says, well, nobody's ever asked for that before. Why, why would we do that? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, you know how it works, yeah. right? But, uh, but so that was really the input, the kind of the, our first step in there, you know, our rim tapes about half the thickness, uh, between a third and half the thickness of the other tapes out there at, at a similar strength. And so it just, it just, it's a little bit lighter, uh, but it really just buys you easier tire installation. Nice, right. Um, nice. and then the other thing that had really just driven me nuts, uh, you know, the valve stem rattle of traditional valve extenders and looking at the problem of breaking aluminum tubeless valves and really kind of, well, it started honestly with the, the little two half moons that get uh, kind of wallowed into the epoxy on either side of the valve hole with your tubeless valve yep. <laughs> from the, uh, and trying to think of a, a way to solve that and had this realization of, oh, well, if I make a little rubber grommet with a spherical negative and I make a you know, a valve nut that has a spherical positive, I can make sort of a, I can turn that into a ball and socket and take the bending load uh, out of the valve, right? Because that's, that's why valves break. Uh, yep. You know, as you guys know, when you make the rim, it's, it's actually pretty darn hard to get the ID and the OD hole in the rim for the valve uh, exactly radially, <laughs> right? yeah. like on the same radial yeah. axis as each other. And so, Every carbon rim I think I'd ever looked at that had the half crescent moon shape wallowed in uh, next to the valve hole, it's much more pronounced on the one side. And, you know, we've seen it bend valves, we've seen it break them. And so that was the really how that project came about of, hey, let's, let's make a, a, a valve stem and make it ball and socket so that there's no bending in it. Uh, and that should eliminate the valve breakage and the valve bending and the other issues that can come with that. Nice. And then, and then halfway into that project went, well, I'm making this silicone piece. I might as well make it arrow. You know, might as well make it look like something. Um, and so of course it, it developed, it developed into this whole kind of other, uh, you know, this whole other project. Nice. Cool. Uh, so our next we'll lead into will be, um, Tubeless allows you to run lower pressures. What pressures do you typically re recommend for tubeless versus a tube uh, s setup? For so basically, for road? you yeah. can usually run lower pressures with with a tubeless tire. Um, yeah. How much lower are you seeing tubeless allow you to go with pressures? Like let's say you get tubes, you're at eighty, you go tubeless. How much difference are you seeing? Uh, 
We've certainly seen in the data for for a given tire, uh, the optimal pressure really stays the same if you're using a latex tube. Okay. Um, butyl tubes can they skew the rolling resistance data quite a bit, but you know if yeah if a 23 millimeter measured tire has a 85 psi optimal on a surface, that's I, I can't say that I can see differences enough to call them differences. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, in, in the data, I, I think in, in mountain bike, uh, for sure, that's, that's a, it's a huge difference, okay. right? And, and in, and in cyclocross, I think what we're seeing now, the, the challenge is really much more related to, uh, burping. Yeah. You know, we've got some of, some of our lightweight or lighter weight, uh, athletes at like cyclocross worlds this year, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking pressures in the 18 and a half, 19 PSI range. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of mind-bending wow. uh, how low some of these numbers have gotten, um, and and that's you know probably the one place where tubulars really still have uh, still have the edge right in cyclocross because you just it's so low we it's just so low right and we we really struggle to get you know you you can you can find that optimal pressure run it in the tubular match it in the tubeless and probably do it at a little bit lower rolling resistance. Um, and then, you know, there's one or two spots in a lap where maybe the tire burps and, you know, now again, you're back to one of those very asymmetric penalties, right? <laughs> one, you know, at 18 PSI, you, you burp a tire and you're, you've got problems. Done, yeah. <laughs> what's yeah, your, yeah, uh, what's your favorite sealant and why? You know, I, I don't have one and I, I really look at the sealant uh, market. We actually looked at getting into the sealant business at one point and realized that really it's almost all the same okay. Uh, okay. with just a few slight variations. And the challenge with that product type is that everybody is just camping out on a spectrum, right? So if you're, you know, if your stands, you are, uh, I think, a really, a, a very good balance of a sealant that last a long time and will fill a pretty good sized hole pretty quickly. Okay. And if you're orange seal, you come out and you kind of develop the product around filling bigger holes and maybe filling them a little bit faster, but because the things you had to do to get there, you now dry out a lot quicker, right? right? And, and so you really have to stake out a place on that spectrum um, and say, no, we're going to do this and here's why. And, you know, from a Certainly, from a engineering and business perspective, for me personally, that that's just a very boring place to be. Right? We're we're five percent better than the other guy at this thing, and we're five percent less good than this other guy at this other thing. And um, <laughs> not really. And, and we're the middle ground. Yeah, not really and, on your grievances list. We're a continental yeah, yeah, sealant. <laughs> well, well, and and yeah, and I think like so many like so many things, it's a little bit like brake pads where the real proper answer is just that you should probably have three or four options and pick them, pick and choose them depending on what you're doing. Right. And of course, that's, that is not what people want to hear. Right. 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 <laughs> I want the best. Yeah. I want the best. Yeah. I, yeah, I want the best at everything. Well, you know, certain yeah, brake pad compounding is another thing. Well, okay. You, you want the highest grip, highest friction, whatever. It's not going to work in the cold. No. <laughs> right? oh, well, I, I, but I, I want it to be the best in the cold. Well, it can't. It, the very nature of what you're asking, it, it can't do that. Exactly. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I tend to try to avoid um, 
categories that are, are uh, linear spectrums yeah. of choice. Yeah. Here's the big question. So you can save three to four watts by switching to latex from butyl. Um, what are you seeing when you switch from latex to tubeless? Uh, is the rolling so, resistance the same? So tubeless has introduced a whole new um, challenge to rolling resistance because it's uh, every tire is unique and its construction is now what's driving the rolling resistance. So no, it, it's not. It's not as easy as just you know the old days of saying, oh, you swap your butyl tube for a latex one, you'll save a couple of watts. I mean, there are tubeless tires that the fastest tire uh, really on earth right now is uh, made by Vittoria. It's their their uh, TLR uh, course of speed. Yeah. That it's. I mean, uh, when when Renee sent me the early samples of that, we ran it and went, oh my goodness. I, I mean, it just we we reran it a couple times because we thought like the the sensors are bad. I mean, there's some you know the the data. This is just bad data. This can't be possible. Um, and then similarly, there's tires, uh, you know, not to name names, but there's tires where there's a tubeless version and a standard version, and the tubeless version might be four, five, six watts worse um, than the standard version. And so we don't have enough consistency uh, in the space yet to, to really be able to make a, a, any sort of blanket statement. Okay. You know, I have think you it's, tested it's, the new 5000, the GP5000? I have not personally tested the 5000. I've got a data set on it uh, from another party. How does it look compared and to it, the TLR Corsa? It's not as good. It's not but as good. good. Now, uh, it's better than the 4000 was. So, you know, I think uh, I think the 4000 had, had did a great job of staking out a space where they were um, durable and puncture resistant enough and f very good aerodynamically and quite good in rolling and the 5000 from what i've seen the the arrow is maybe a slight step backwards to sideways uh, and i think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's almost impossible to design a tire for arrow i tried for years yep. tell um, that story <laughs> and yeah well and and you know it's you you can make a million prototypes and wind tunnel them and cfd them and you know the reality is when you inflate you got all this stuff stuck together and when you inflate it, it just doesn't do what you want it to do. And, you know, I love the the crew at Continental because they've they've been very open from day one of like, hey, we have no idea why this thing is so fast. I, know, <laughs> right? I, I, I mean, <laughs> it's very unintentional. It just worked out that way. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, there there are a lot of things you can do with tread thickness to improve aero, but they have big rolling resistance penalties, right? And so, you know, I think it took the 4,000 so long to be replaced because they just had really stumbled into such a beautiful product, sweet spot yeah. of, yeah, I mean, just just a beautiful product. So, you know, the 5,000, I, I think I haven't actually ridden it yet, but I think it's going to be, you know, it, it's an improvement almost everywhere except for aero. Yeah. Um, I think it's a heck of a tire. You know, the the TLR is a phenomenal tire in uh, CRR. How does it do with um, aero and puncture resistance? It, not good for either one. So, you know, I think for a lot of a lot of athletes, there's it's almost a do your own testing. <laughs> the you know there's the rolling resistance is incredibly low because there's very 
little in there um, to generate friction or prevent punctures. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really, it is a racing tire. And I think, you know, as we know that the challenge with that is, um, you know, quite often taking that risk, it works out for you. And when it works out, that's awesome. And, but the, the times that it burns you again, we're talking, right. Very asymmetric effects. Yeah. Here. <laughs> there was, goes five to 10 minutes. A, yeah. 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 I was a 10th of a second, uh, you know, faster when it worked and I was, Eight minutes slower when it, when it didn't, didn't. <laughs> um, or, or for you know for a lot of time trialing it, it maybe you know you, you DNF'd right I mean it so these are discussions we have a lot with our uh, our pro tour teams and uh, it, it, it's quite funny actually today we announced that we're coming on as a technical partner official technical partner with EF uh, Education First and you know we had worked been working with them as a sort of a consultant partner uh, over the last few years and they were buying a lot of tools and and uh, speed balance and uh, latex tubes and things from us and that was an interesting you know uh, discussion they ran TLRs at the Tour de France this year uh, and they ran them tubeless and they ran them with uh, you know our valves and speed shields and kind of that whole package and you know we we had some really uh, interesting discussions there about the the risks associated right hey this it's a couple watts faster but yeah you know, it's if if it goes bad, it, it it's going to be bad. And um, you know, I think for for me, it's I, you know, I tend to look at myself as I, you know, I, I don't care what decision you take, but I I just want you to be fully informed. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so so from I mean, and, uh, obviously, tubeless has been well adapted for mountain and certain things like that. From a road and tri perspective, it's been much slower. Is that something that you recommend for road cyclists and triathletes? Is is a tubeless setup? If you're tech savvy and you like working with your equipment um, and you don't mind spending the time with it, I, I think it's a fun experience personally. Okay. Um, you know, honestly, I. It's a very Josh I, Porter answer. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I'll take, I mean, take myself, you know, I, when I was racing and training, I worked on my bike obsessively yeah. and I really enjoyed it. And I still, if I, if I have the opportunity, I love wrenching on bikes. Uh, you know, when I travel, I was just in uh, Majorca at uh, various team camps working with our teams and, you know, I love if, if they'll let me, uh, you know, touch the tools and, and work on the bikes. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> this coming from the guy who you know, makes it's, the tools, they should let you touch them for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I made that. Well, as, yeah. as, uh, as, as one of my, my favorite pro mechanics uh nick james who's a head wheel builder at zip you know he's got this great uh this great poster that says uh something along the lines of old old cranky mechanics or or these old, old cranky guys make far better mechanics than you know young pleasant guys or something <laughs> and so you know there's i i kind of have my my list of guys uh my my pro mechanics who are will let me touch the tools and those that won't and uh and, and the reality you, you don't want to get on the bad side of a mechanic so but but no i i enjoy it and i think if if i had the time in my life to do it i would probably have all my stuff tubeless and and I would actually ride, which I kind of don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the reality of, you know, I've got two kids and my wife has a, an amazing but insanely busy job and we both travel a ton and uh, running this business. And yeah, I, you know, if, if I ride a day a month, I'm lucky and I in no way, 
want that experience to be, you know, oh, my tubeless is dried up or my sealant's dried up, yeah. right? You know, it, it, it from just a needs, speed perspective. It just needs it, to be to work. It does make sense, right? I mean, there's there's not many situations now where you where you wouldn't recommend tubeless from a racing perspective if if you have the setup because it is proving to be faster, especially as the new tire technology is developed. Or as fast as latex. Well, yeah, if it's the right tire. If it's right. the right tire. No, I, I mean, I I don't have data in front of me, but I would say that the top, the fastest tire, that TLR, is probably the only tubeless tire in the top 10 right now of fast road tires. I mean, it, it's it's coming, yep. but we're, we're not there yet. Yeah, no, we're, uh, I would say... Okay. You know, if I, yeah, but, but, you know, 12 months from now, if you're listening to this podcast in, in 2020, what I just said is probably invalid. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the speed balance and the speed shield. Um, basically, so everyone balances their car tires because if your car tire is not balanced, it's a horrible experience. Um, what a lot of customers don't recognize is bicycle wheels are inherently unbalanced because of your valve and all of these other things. And typically nobody balances a bike tire. Um, as a wheel manufacturer, there's, you always get the call that the, the bike is bouncing in the stand and it's just kind of a thing that happens, right? So you guys have developed a product that actually will help balance the wheel out. So tell us one, why that matters. And two, is it faster? Okay, so yeah, the the quick history, and you know, with me, nothing's ever quick. But uh, the quick history is, I when we developed the eight hundred eight, you know, that eighty two millimeter rim, the you know the riders love time trialing on it, and Fabian Cancellara decided to road race on it. And if you remember, he won that crazy tour stage, I think in know seven or eight, where he just kind of TT'd off the front for the last <laughs> kilometer and a half. Um, and at the time, you know, that was a 420-ish gram carbon rim and you're running a, you know, 250 gram silk tire made by FMB with a brass valve stem and a 80 millimeter valve extender on it, right? So, the 18 or 20 grams of imbalance in that in a wheel system where your your total perimeter weight is on the order of, you know, 650 grams or something. Um, that's a lot, yeah. right? And at the speeds that the guys are going in the pro tour, they really feel it. And so from pretty much that moment on, I every year would go over uh, for him and, and ultimately it spread to a bunch of the other guys once they realized we were kind of dumb enough to go and do it. And we would, you know, I would spend probably a, a three or four days at each of the service courses balancing wheels for the tires the guys are riding. And I think, you know, that the challenge as you know, the manufacturers have is uh, I could balance the wheel, but I don't know what tire and valve stem or tire tube valve stem setup you're going to exactly. put on it. And so I really can't, without dictating to you what tube and tire to use, I can't make this decision for you. Right. right? And so as the, as the wheel manufacturer, you, we put a, a handful of grams of counterweight there and hope that that's good enough but it it really is depending on uh you know these other factors you think of like the latex tubes they're they're sleeved together at the valve so all of your overlaps in the system are at the valve the valve stem has a butyl flange that's used to bond it to the tube itself 
then the valve stem. Then if you use an extender, you know, the extenders have overlap where they have to thread together. And so it's pretty common to have 10 to 15 grams of imbalance there. And, you know, it's hard. It is very hard to quantify uh, the losses there because we're, we're talking subwatt, right? And, right? and anything in a, in a cycling system um, that's subwatt is very hard to right. find, um, you know, even in the wind tunnel, right? And so it's, it's, it's an effect that's probably on the order of um, hidden versus exposed spoke nipples in a, in a good, well shaped rim, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, I remember for, you know, when we were, Years ago at Texas A and M, you just couldn't see the difference. And then, you know, when San Diego came on, and we had this sort of um, ten gram repeatability uh, of the San Diego wind tunnel, you you would see a difference of about ten grams. But of course, you know, with your marketing hat on, that's ten grams. With your engineering hat on, you go, well, when when my variance is equal to my uncertainty, <laughs> I can't. I can't exactly say that that's, you know, like a, a bona fide yeah. proven, yeah, you know, yeah. advantage. Um, but yeah, if you think of it from from the imbalances perspective, you know, the bottom of the wheel is at zero. The top of the wheel is going at two times the bike velocity. And so, if you've got this 10 or 15 gram imbalance, you are accelerating that thing from zero to say, you know, if you're going 30 miles an hour, that thing's going from zero to 60 miles an hour forward. And back to zero in every rotation, yep. right? And so you have this very quantifiable um, acceleration deceleration cycle yep. uh, in the rim, and some some riders are, I would say, more perceptive to it. You know, a, a lot of our uh, track guys are actually just had a meeting yesterday with some riders who are going over for uh, for some six day racing. In Berlin, and one of the guys we work with, Matt Giddings, is this amazing. Uh, he races in the uh, the paced Derny competitions, and so you know, the average speed for these guys is like fifty four miles an hour. I mean, it, it's insane. <laughs> and yeah, it's, if you've ever seen it, it's it's unreal, right? They're pacing a motorbike and they're racing each other, and it's. I mean, you just watch it. You're like, my God, these guys are like, how how are any of them alive? Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but. But you think it it the fifty mile an hour range that imbalance becomes a huge yeah, huge problem for them yeah. and 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 then on top of that they're on these you know very smooth wooden tracks and so there's no there's no sort of external noise to hide the, the balance effects right I mean they really feel it um, and and so you know I would say today probably the the top three or four teams, they all balance the wheels. Um, you know, they all largely probably do what we did in the old days, which was a little bit of clear silicone, um, RTV silicone caulk in a spoke hole and a, you know, a couple of ball bearings or something. Um, I think pretty much every wheel manufacturer in the Pro Tour has a no speed shield or a no uh, speed balance clause um, in, in their team contract because, you know, they, Consumers still see that as a wheel problem, okay. right? And I think you know if you're a specialized or a zip or whoever, you you don't want it to seem like you have a problem that this Silka product fixes. But the reality is, it's it's not a wheel problem. Okay. No, right? it's, 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 it's yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Last question before we get to our famous watt point question, and that is the speed shield. So you guys have developed a little arrow fitting that goes over your valve. Uh, STEM. Talk about that and how much time can it save you? So, 
speed shield. Well, so speed shield, yeah, the little arrow guy, it covers about 10 millimeters of valve stem. Um, it eliminates rattle. It seals out the moisture. Um, kind of looks cool, but it honestly, it, it's one of the things that, you know, before I left Zip, we were developing the wavy, uh, you know, radius wheel, the, what's now the NSW. And so we'd been working on that for gosh, probably 18 months when I left and had, uh, you know, even just seen with, if you took, um, you know, clay, right. (laughs) You know, uh, wind, wind tunnel clay and, and you, you could, you know, build these protrusions onto the rim, you you could actually increase stall angles. And so I'd kind of had the, the idea in my head for a while when we started. And um, a speed shield on its own is probably on the order of half 0.6 watts uh, in the wind tunnel, right? Because you're you're covering 10 millimeters of a uh, of a round thing, which is just a very bad shape. Um, you know, again, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 watts in the tunnel is hard to really call conclusive but if you pair it if you match it with a speed balance you will consistently see about a 10 to 12 gram uh savings in drag which is right on that order you know we're roughly in that like nine grams per watt uh at 30 miles per hour so sort of watt. Uh, okay cool regime so yeah right, right about a watt. all right so here's the last question that we ask every guest and the the idea we call it the watt point question and the idea is that if the listener follows the advice given by the expert on the show how many watts is that worth? So we always base it on a rider with a 300 watt FTP. In this case, it may not be quite relevant to the the FTP, but let's go with the optimizing tire pressure for both aerodynamics and rolling resistance. So in your experience, how many watts is the right tire pressure worth? Going from like a bad setup to the optimal setup. I, uh, from from a truly, I mean, if I pick a really bad setup, it's probably in the twenties, close to thirty. Um, you know, I I have seen we have seen ten psi ranges after the tire pressure breakpoint worth on the order of twenty ish watts on rough surfaces, uh, and you certainly see that on on cobbles um, <laughs> with rolling resistance, you know, primarily. It, with rolling resistance, yeah. I mean, you think of a uh, you know post break point on cobbles. Yeah, you you can you can see twenty watts over 10, 15 psi, uh, and then aerodynamically in there, you're you're probably. I think the the challenge is that the aero effects, from my experience, you tend to see at the high pressures, yep. and then the huge deltas and savings for rolling resistance tend to be on rougher surfaces where you'd naturally be at lower pressures. Um, so you couldn't exactly some you know I I can't save you yeah, uh, you know eight arrow watts uh, at high pressure and twenty uh, rolling resistance watts at lower pre- at the same time but yeah and yeah. I think paying attention to it you could probably consistently on a daily basis at your next you know event or race you're probably consistently in the twelve to fifteen watt savings range jump. by paying attention to both yeah. of those. Yeah, it's it it's real. It's very and and again I think it's you know one of the reasons the you know the the boras and the skies and the EFs of the world have have brought us in, right? I think it's yeah. um you know for me that's been I think the most exciting part of this silka journey is taking this stuff that really wasn't being thought about or talked about 
and sort of mainstreaming it. And, uh, and a the way. general rule of thumb is lower is always better than higher because of that break point, right? So if you're going to yeah. shy one side, go a bit lower. It, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a crazy uh, kind of nonlinearity there that, yeah, five, five too low might be uh, uh, 0.6 or 0.8 or a watt and five too high could be four, five, six wow, watts. Wow. And then when you say um, cobbles, is that similar to a gravel surface for gravel riders? And mountain yes yeah and it, again not all you know how, how do we define gravel um can be a, a challenge but yeah absolutely i think of uh you know one of the most punishing um surfaces from this perspective that i've ever seen is the uh the, the flint the kind of embedded flint in the uh that dirty kanza soil okay right in a, in a way it's you know you're you're not riding on sort of a loose packed uneven surface, you're riding on a relatively hard packed smooth surface where you have these fixed protrusions that you're kind of running in your impact. I live in San Diego and ride on parts of that course all the time. So I know exactly what okay. you're yeah. talking about. And, and uh, yeah, and that, that can be, can be just amazing. Uh, the, the asymmetry uh, in that data. I mean, the, you know, I would say for, for a lot of surfaces that you know our hockey stick graph, the the sort of blade of the hockey stick out to the right. It's it's somewhat steeper, you know, maybe twice as steep as the as the left side of the graph, okay. right? Okay. But on some of these, and and particularly on like the the cobbles of Roubaix, um, some of the stuff we've seen on the the Kanza course, I mean, the the steepness on the right side of the curve is is crazy. It's not quite vertical, but it's it's very steep. And yeah, you can yeah you can easily be you know, 10, 15 watts. I think that, you know, I've got a cool, uh, I have to pull out, I've got a cool slide we did after Fabian's win at Roubaix in 2010, looking at the sort of the sum of all of the watt savings we were able to find in our testing. And uh, it, the graph of his tire pressure to speed was amazing. I mean, it, it just, every time we lowered the pressure, he, he just went faster on the same watts. And it, it literally just is faster, 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 double wheel broken. That's crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right, man. Well, this has been an awesome episode. Um, very cool information. Some great stories in there. Where can listeners learn more about you and Silka? So you can find us at uh, silka.cc. And then we are also, uh, I'm launching as a new side project because I needed something else yeah. to do. Uh, my own podcast, which is the Marginal Gains Podcast, awesome. uh, which can be found at, at marginalgainspodcast.com. And uh, really with an eye on kind of telling some of these stories and sharing some of the data and uh, similarly helping helping people get faster through. Yeah, yeah. Man. Share, the, uh, share the podcast love. Let's uh, get some people to come over and listen to that podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Cool, we'll, man. Well, again, we'll it's always a pleasure talking. Uh, we, we've known each other for years now and you're, you're a great guy, great resource. You've helped us many times. So thank you uh, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And I think the, the listeners are going to love this episode. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, thank, take care. Thanks so much to both of you. Mm. Yep. Cheers. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, 
in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to listen to episode 23, where we interviewed Tom Anhalt, one of the industry's smartest engineers to discuss rolling resistance and aerodynamics. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by sharing our podcast and by leaving a rating or review. If you want to learn more about our company, Flow Cycling, please visit us online at flowcycling.com. That's F as in Frank, L-O-C-Y-C-L-I-N-G.com. You can also find us under Flow Cycling on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, ride safe.